It's great to see all of you here today. We're going to finish up a message we began last week entitled The Good Fight. Um, and it's from Ephesians chapter 6, and it's talking about uh, putting off um, our old self and engaging in the uh, warfare that God has called us to engage in, that, that spiritual warfare that all of us face is found there in Ephesians chapter 6. I want to talk about two concepts leading up to this piece of scripture that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, Ephesians kind of goes in uh, a crescendo way up to this big final thoughts that we're about to read this morning once again found in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18. First of all, there's this pattern of, of, of thought that Paul puts forward in the book of Ephesians called put-offs, put-ons. And he begins right away in the book of Ephesians, he says, for those of us who have given our life to Jesus Christ, we're to put off the futility of thinking in our own minds, thinking like we used to think in the world, and we're supposed to put on the mind of Christ. Then he moves right next into character, and he talks about you're supposed to put off some things that are anti-Christ in that way, and put on the new way of thinking in Jesus uh, Christ. For instance, put off falsehood, put on truth, put off anger, put on self-control. And then after that, he moves into uh, doing life. And he gets into the put-offs and the put-ons there. And he says, put off darkness, put on light, put off, you know, parenting. We talked about, you know, dedicating these children this morning. Put off uh, worldly concepts of parenting and put on Christ-illuminating concepts of parenting. But then he gets to the crescendo of the thought process of the book of Ephesians. He gets us to chapter 6. And, and he says, finally, as he gets to this chapter uh, uh, that we're about to read this morning, he says, finally... Um, Put off your ignorance about the devil, put off your ignorance and fear of the demonic, and put on the armor of God and do the spiritual battle that God has called you to do. So we see Ephesians kind of works to this thought process that, uh, of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning. There's also another way you can look at getting to Ephesians chapter 6. That's also kind of a crescendo look into this, this little short epistle of the Bible that's so powerful. Three words summarize Ephesians. I like to do this kind of stuff. If you're around me, it helps me really remember God's word much better. But there's three big words that summarize Ephesians, I think, very, very effectively. The first word is sit. And this has to do with your position in Jesus Christ. And this word is presented to us, this concept is presented to us in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, to be seated with Christ implies that you and I are in a position of rest. When you sit down, you're resting. You're not working. You're not striving at all. And what is being told to us here in Ephesians 2 is that your salvation is a finished work of Jesus Christ, and when you receive Christ, sit in it. Sit in the accomplishment that's been wrought for you through Christ. We are God's children, and because of Jesus Christ, we have a position of rest, and God loves us. Accept that, receive it, and sit in it. Amen? Then Ephesians goes on uh, to chapter, in chapter 4 and gives us a second big concept. Walk. Walk. This has to do with the life you're called to live in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3 tells us this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. So this word reminds us that because Christ is in our hearts, because we've been born again, we 
should do life entirely differently. Our walk in him is to be entirely different. Now we get to the third word, and that's once again where the put-offs and the put-ons have taken us. Ephesians, looking, looking at it from a summary of three words, takes us there this way also. It is the word stand. It's the word stand. This has to do with enduring in Jesus in the battle against the devil. It's so the put-offs, the put-ons have taken us to this concept, and the three-summary word of Ephesians takes us to this concept, this kind of crescendo ending to the book of Ephesians, that you and I are engaged in something out of this world. We're engaged in spiritual warfare. And my, my goal today, coupled with last week's message, is simple, that we understand that, and that we intentionally engage in the battle that we find ourselves in, and we become educated, and we step in then to the provisions that God has made available to us and provided for us in this battle. But we got to understand we battle not against flesh and blood, but against, you know, the spiritual forces of evil. And so when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, where we're gonna, I'm going to read that right now for you. Once again, I read it last week. The operative word that summarizes this last section of Ephesians is the word stand. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm and do battle against Satan. Stand in the, in, in, in the cause of Christ. Understand what's going around you and engage. So here we go. I'm going to read to you this morning Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Listen to the scripture. Finally. It's like Paul is saying, look, it took me a while to get here, but finally. Get this, get this, understand this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you could take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. For all the Lord's people. So we struggle against this enemy called the devil. And we're supposed to stand firm. Whether you look at it from the put off, put ons methodology. Or whether you look at it from our three word summary of Ephesians. It takes you to the same concluding thought. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. And we're supposed to stand firm in our faith in God in the midst of this warfare. And, and, and in order to do battle with the devil, I talked about this last week, we got to know who he is just a little bit. And so I gave you a description of the devil last week, and I'm going to review that, uh, review that really quickly this morning, but I'm not going to explain it today. So if you're going, huh, what? I encourage you, go to our website, look up the media section of our website, Go to last week's message and listen to it. If you want to know more information that I'm going to share with you this morning on this part of the message, because this is entirely review. So here's the devil described. The devil is a created being under the creator God. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-present. He's finite and limited. He cannot read your mind. 
Therefore, he organizes in a structure to do battle against God, but he can't be everywhere at once and know all things. He is not God. Whatever you see in the movies, throw that out. Amen? The devil is a fallen angel. That's point number two. And you can look up some of that scripture if you want to read about it, like in Job chapter 1 and 2. The devil is a ruler of the kingdom of error. The demonic is organized to resist God's kingdom. And they have an ill will towards the people of God and towards the things of God. And so they don't have our best interests at heart. Amen? The devil is an accuser. If you're feeling really accused in your walk in God and there doesn't seem to be any course uh, you know, of correction and it's not convictional, it's probably an attack. The devil is an adversary and a deceiver. Uh, as scripture says, his native language is lies and he's the father of lies. The devil is a counterfeiter. We're told in books like Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that, that at the end of the age, uh, the devil will attempt to deceive even God's uh, people by counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Uh, the devil is a destroyer according to Revelation chapter 9, and the devil is a defeated foe, praise God, according to Revelation 20. So that's a quick description of the enemy that we face. Now, I said this last week, but I'm going to make it a point today because I think this is so important, and this is a good reflection thought for you to consider as I go throughout the, the, the morning. We ignore the devil to our harm, and we exaggerate him to our harm. If you think you're too sophisticated for this today, and that this kind of thing doesn't work, that there's no demonic and all that kind of stuff, then you're in that ignorance side. You're doing that to your harm. And if you think there's a demon around every corner of the building and all that kind of thing, and you give everything time there's a problem in your life, it's some demonic issue, you're probably exaggerating it in your life. Amen? And both of those you do to your harm. And so what I'm trying to do in this message this week and last week is get us to a balanced understanding of the demonic, that we get educated on it and informed on it, and that we understand the provision that God has made for us to step in then and do the battle that we're called to do. And it's all about standing firm. And God has made provision for you and I to stand firm. And this is uh, what we read about today in the, in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. You are to put on the armor of God. You're to put on the armor of God and you're to stand firm in your faith. Now, we talked about these first three um, articles of the armor last week. Let me review them very quickly for you uh, this morning. We're supposed to put on, first of all, the belt of truth. We're supposed to put on the belt of truth. In other words, for the, us as followers of God, um, the belt of truth in, in Roman times had all these little knickknacks and hanging devices, hooks and things for you to hook on to. And, and what we're supposed to see and visualize here is that we're supposed to hang every single area of our life on the truth of God. Amen? Put on the belt of truth. Hang, hang your life on the truth of God. Secondly, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And, and for the Roman soldier, that, that would guard the vital organs. It was a coat of mail that would just guard the heart and, and everything there that uh, is in the chest from, from mortal injury. And what we have to understand that in the, in the spiritual realm, that Jesus is our breastplate of righteousness. We find our right standing with God through the work of Jesus Christ. And so what we have to understand is the only way that we're going to be right with God, which is a super simple definition of righteousness, is to by faith trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be our righteousness when he says he is. Amen? And when you're feeling that and doubting that in your heart, you put it on. You put it on and you claim it for your life. 
And thirdly, he put on feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In other words, what was being told here in the Christian world, the Roman soldiers had these really cool sandals, I just might as well share this, with long spikes that gave them a a tactical advantage when they were doing hand-to-hand combat with their enemy. Now, for you and I as Christ followers, we're told that because we love Jesus Christ, we have sure traction in our life from which to take a stand of sharing the gospel message with other people. So that's what it means to have feet fitted with the peace uh, 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 of God. So now we're half-dressed, and that's where we left off last week. Now we're going to get the rest of the way dressed this morning. We're supposed to take up the shield of faith. We're supposed to take up the shield of faith, we're told here. Now, I have a little guy here who's really a medieval knight, so it's not a good representation of a Roman soldier, but he looks cool. And so the shield that the Romans had were four feet tall by two feet wide. And they were really adequate for a single soldier to hide behind quite well when attacked. But what really made them effective, and we have a picture of that, I think, that we put up here, was when they were in a group, they could come together, link up all their shields, and basically they had in front of them, as they engaged their enemy, a wall of protection. And this is an awesome picture of what's supposed to transpire in the body of Christ. But if you were a Roman soldier in a garrison, you were happy to have your buddy next to you guarding your right or your left side, amen? Where the, where the enemy couldn't flank in on you and get you, you know, and, 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 and basically render you useless as a soldier. And so you, would, you were relying upon your, your, your partner, your, your other people there in, in, in engagement with the enemy. And so you'd make this wall of protection. Um, now, the, the, the shields of the Romans were really interesting. They were double laminated wood on purpose, so they're really strong. They had leather over the outside of them, and they had an iron frame on the inside. So they were a strong structure. So arrows would go in, and they would just plant in there, but they couldn't penetrate it. In times of battle, though, they had advanced at this era to shooting flaming arrows and flaming darts. You know, when it comes to warfare, uh, humankind's very good at destroying each other, aren't they? And so what the Roman soldiers would do and other soldiers would do in the like time and era is they would wet their seals, uh, shields with water. They'd wet down the leather part of it so when the arrow would come in, it would be quenched. It would be put out by the shields. This might be one of my favorite pictures of how the church is supposed to work. You and I are supposed to take up our shields of faith. Amen? And stand firm in who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to do that not only individually because the shield of faith is big enough for a single soldier to stand behind and get protection. We're supposed to link up with one another. We're supposed to come along aside each other and have this wall of protection that goes up around us. And for us, we're supposed to pick up our shield as faith. We're supposed to trust that God is adequate to, to quench and douse all the fiery darts and arrows that the enemy may shoot our way. And we're supposed to stand fast in our faith in Jesus Christ as the enemy flings incendiary devices at us, so to speak. We're supposed to stand fast. They're not to set you and I on fire. And if you feel yourself wavering, you're supposed to grab another person in the body of Christ and say, pray with me. Stand with me. And we're supposed to see that picture of the Roman soldiers. We're supposed to link up. This is why I think it's so important for us to do life as a community, okay? I talk about that all the time. But when I see this picture, I say, it's not just important. It is imperative that we do life together. Because sometimes 
I'm not strong. Sometimes you're not strong. Sometimes you feel yourself failing in an area and you grab somebody and you say, come alongside me. I need you right now. Pray with me. That's why it's so important to do the Christian life with other people. Amen? Boy, I thought I'd get more reaction than that. I th- oh, well, but you get one. It's so important. It's so important. So faith that I'm talking about here as a follower of Jesus, faith protects you from the doubt, despair, and discouragement of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And by standing in faith, you bring glory to Jesus. In fact, attacks then become an opportunity to demonstrate the genuineness of your faith, as noted in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. Let me read that to you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though for now... Uh, although now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what we're supposed to understand is we're to have faith. And so when the enemy shoots something at us, a doubt or something to get you know, us to despair or, or discouraged, that our faith is such that it just puts it out. It doesn't penetrate us. I'll talk about application of all these pieces of equipment that we've been talking about last week and this week at the end of the message, and I think that'll make more sense then. Now we're going to get to the last two pieces of armor that we're supposed to put on this morning. And if you notice, the language of Ephesians changed just a little bit to take these things now. And that, I think, is very much on purpose when I was reading up on a Roman soldier getting dressed with his equipment, with his armor, he would get dressed all the way to the point of having a shield, and then his armor bearer would hand to him his helmet and his sword, and he'd have to take those things from the armor bearer and put them on. And take here in the context of Ephesians means to receive and accept this piece of equipment. So basically what we're being told here with these last two pieces of armor is that we need to receive and accept these armament pieces from Jesus. We need to take them on and and receive them. And so, first of all, we're supposed to take the helmet of salvation. Of course, the helmet for the Roman soldier was a device to keep your noggin from getting destroyed keep your brain from getting wrecked and your head from being pierced by a sword. Um, For the follower, it means that we are willing to receive and accept from God the surety of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, We're to receive it as as a certain thing. 1 Thessalonians tells us that we are to put the hope of salvation on as a helmet. We're just supposed to see ourselves because we're in Christ that we're protected. So receive from God the certainty of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Okay? The enemy temptation oftentimes for the follower of God is one of getting you to doubt your salvation. And you have to receive from God as a gift, a protection, that you are saved. If you receive Jesus Christ, 
and you've made that confession, and you've asked him into your heart, and you meant it, and you were genuine, then you have to receive from God the helmet of salvation, which means that you rest in that work of God in your life, and that you know that he's presently delivering you from sin, and one day you understand it all, even from a greater viewpoint, when the consummation of eternity happens and all that kind of thing, and you're sitting there free of temptation totally, okay? And so, anyway, we're going to go on to the last piece of armor, and that's take the sword of the Spirit. Take the sword of the Spirit. Now, the sword being talked about in this case was a short, cut, and thrust, double-edged sword. It's not like this spear of the medieval knight. It was a short sword meant for up-close and personal combat. It was used in a defensive posture, and it was used when the, when the soldier was on the offense, too. So it was used in both kind of categories. In fact, it's the only piece of armament of, of those listed here in Ephesians that's used for offense as well as for defense. Um, to make it clear what this is, it's explained to us that the, 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 the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now, specifically, when you look it up in the original Greek of the New Testament, you look up some of this language, it means that it's a rhema word of God. And what, what I mean by using that language, rhema word, is that God, through the anointing of, and filling of the Holy Spirit, his word becomes active and applicable in your life to a certain situation that you are going through. The word becomes alive and it becomes active. As elsewhere it says in Scripture, it becomes then sharper than a double-edged sword able to pierce between bone and marrow. So God's word, alive and active in the follower, is a sword to use in close battle. Jesus illustrated how this very thing transpired in Matthew chapter 4 when the devil tempted him three times. Each time the devil tempted him, he refuted that temptation with what? A word of God, a promise of God. He was hungry. So, you know, the devil said, just turn this stone into bread. Jesus says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Bam, there it is. That's a rhema word. That's a word anointed by the person of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. It's active. It's a live kind of word. That's what's being talked about here as the sword of the Spirit for the follower of God. So you, in cooperation with the person of the Holy Spirit living in you and the word of God, can become a mighty warrior. As you fight these temptations and these trials that come your way, not by standing on your own strength and gutting it out and persevering, but by using the Word of God and allowing it to become active and alive in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So now we're to what I would call application. I've talked for two weeks on these different pieces of armament. So now what I want to do is spend a moment with you talking purely on application. There's a lot of spaces for you to write some notes here. So if you have something that God's pricking your heart with this morning that you need to do in your life, write it down and do it. So here we go. Here's what I would consider application of these pieces of armament. First of all, let's talk about the, the belt of truth. Um, this is just simply this picture that you're supposed to hang all of your life on the truth of God. So you read the scriptures and you run into something that you maybe aren't doing presently or never even thought about doing or don't know that you should have been doing, you don't argue with the Word of God, what do you do? 
You say, God, through the infilling power of your Holy Spirit, I will hang my life on the truth of this revealed word to me. And you begin to do your Christianity differently. You begin to do it in cooperation with the person of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word. And you know what? When you begin to do that, guess what you've just done? You have just entered into the realm of spiritual warfare. You may not even know it. But the moment you begin to hang your life on the truth of God, you are engaging the enemy of God in ways that perhaps you've never done before. And you might start experiencing some kickback and some attack. But I want to tell you, it all begins with hanging your life on the truth of God, every area of your life. Amen? Amen? The breastplate represents the righteousness we have in Jesus Christ. And often the attack that we suffer as people is an attack, what I call, of the heart. And, and the way it can take place is um, you can have a hurtful family upbringing where your heart's just been crushed by those who are supposed to protect you and value as a person. Perhaps you've just been crushed or maybe you've been betrayed by somebody. And if you're not understanding who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can become cynical, hurt, feeling like a victim and resentful and withdrawn and all that kind of thing. And you become pretty useless for the cause of Christ. And you become, you know, pretty much, I'm going to just kind of endure life. No, 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 no. You have to understand that in Jesus Christ, there is a righteousness that supersedes your own abilities to do life. Now, when I use the word righteousness, all it means is I'm right with God. And through Jesus Christ, being right with God means I stand in the truth of who I am as a beloved son or daughter of the living God. Not what my family has told me. Not what somebody who's mad at me has said. Not at a co-worker who's betrayed me at work or whatever. That does not define who I am. I am defined by my right standing with God through Jesus Christ. That's my breastplate of righteousness. It's to guard my heart. I become a little tougher. Nobody should be able to dethrone me very easily from that thought process. Okay, when I use the word dethrone, I don't mean I'm on the throne. But you follow what I'm saying, right? Nobody should be able to get me off that understanding, and, and I should be tough-minded in that regard. And, and so what? People of the world are going to act like people of the world. Amen? And they're going to say negative things to you, and they're going to treat you negatively. That's because that's who they are. But you being in Jesus Christ, you have the breastplate of righteousness around you. Let that guard your heart. Then the next area, and I think this is an area of attack frequently on people, is your feet are fitted so that you can share the gospel adequately. And I think one of the things that the devil wants to do to us is get us to accept this idea that I'm not a very good Christian. I fail, I swear, I, you know, get angry. I don't, you know, when I have a chance to say something, I get all flustered and I get, I don't know what to say. And, and you know, pretty soon you think, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love to talk about Jesus with other people because I don't know how and I don't feel adequate in doing it. And I'll leave that up to the pastor or somebody else that's more equipped to do that. Uh, 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 uh. You are fitted with Roman-type sandals that have spikes sticking out of the bottom of them. You have traction in Christ. You have peace of God in your heart. And people don't want to know all this perfect theology from you, and they don't want to see you living a perfect life. They want to see you living a genuine life, full of authenticity and 
They want to see you when your heart breaks because you've done something that you shouldn't have done. Just be genuine and share the peace of Jesus Christ with others. You may be the man or woman of the moment in that person's life. Just share Christ, amen? Share Christ. Pretend you're talking about your favorite meal or the basketball game or the football game or whatever. You know, I mean, you watch the football. I watch that basketball, the girls, and I saw a couple passes in the girls' basketball team. I go, oh, doggy, that was nice. Do you ever do that? Maybe you don't do that. I don't have a problem sharing that. That was fun. And yesterday, flattened to this dunk. My goodness. He was like an arm's length above the hoop. I go, okay, I'm not very demonstrative. You see me watch the game, I'm kind of stoic. But I went, woo. That's some athleticism there, you know. You just, you just got to go, wow. I'm just going to say this. Let it rip every now and then. Just let it out. Just don't hold back. Just let it go, woo. What's that about? I love Jesus, man. What? All right, you follow what I'm saying. All right. So then we get on to this, the, 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 the shield. And I love the picture we just looked at here of the Roman soldiers. And we have to see ourselves, brothers and sisters, linking up together because there are moments when I need you. There are moments when you need me. There are moments when we need each other. Husbands and wives need to do this. We need to do this with our kids. And we need to understand that, you know what? There's to be this linking together of the body of Christ and as we collectively, you know, go forth in his name and trusting in him. Now, you know what? The enemy, the devil, will send flaming arrows of doubt and insult, setbacks, temptation like lust and greed and so on. But we who trust God, we're supposed to have this shield of faith up and that thing just goes out. That thing just goes out. And if you feel yourself wavering, grab somebody that you know loves Jesus and get them on alongside you and praying with you and praying for you. Amen? We need to do this a lot more than I think we do right now. We just need to do this a lot for one another. The helmet of salvation is our protection of your mind. And here's what you have to get to. When you have received Christ, if you have done this and you've asked him into your life, then it's a given that you're saved. And you have to rest in the assurance of that salvation. It's a, I call it a givenness of that salvation. And you have to pray then when you begin to doubt, and when you begin to think it, it's relying upon your uh, you know, correct behavior or something like that, you need to guard your mind by praying, God, put your helmet of salvation on me. And then lastly, the sword is the coupling of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And sometimes we're facing battles and we try to go in there and do it in our own strength it don't work very well and what you have to begin to do is say god give me a word for this from you uh your word from your, you know the bible and the holy spirit you know make this word alive and active in me and so you're beginning to grab a hold of this weapon that god has given you to slice up the situation a little bit and 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 just begin to expect god uh to give you these alive rhema words that are dealing with the situations and the trials and the temptations and the attacks that you're going through as a follower of God. I love how this reading ended today. Do you know how he ended this? By telling us what? To pray for all peoples on all occasions for all situations. Pray in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit even now is interceding on our behalf? And you know what we're being invited into here? Participation that way. It's how you put on the armament of God. It's by prayer. In fact, I would encourage you, if you've never done this over the course of the next two or three weeks, is to go to Ephesians 6 and daily just go through each piece of armament and pray that God would put them on in your life. 
Just pray through it. Use it as a prayer guide. And so our conclusion today is this. The battle you are in demands that you pray and, and be in prayer. I think Satan would keep us from talking from God to God. It's a, a great way to make us ineffective and self-reliant and frustrated. Oftentimes I'm amazed because I'm a pastor and I should know this. I've been going through something and someone close to me will say, have you prayed about that? Well, no. I probably should. I'm a pastor, shouldn't I? And if I don't do that, I bet you don't either, do you? So in all situations, pray. And they don't have to be long prayers. Just pray that God be working mightily in your life. So with that, we're done today, and I need to close out because I need to get you guys out of here. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the day. Thank you for these messages from Ephesians. It's so important to us, I think, as followers of God, to be um, equipped to do the battle that we find ourselves in. And we're in this battle. There is no neutrality in this battle. We are in the battlefield. The question becomes, will we become a slaughtered one or will we stand fast in the uh, armament that you made available for us, Lord? So I pray that everyone here today would begin to really grapple with in their own life what it means to put on the belt of truth, to hang their life on truth, what it means that their righteousness is found in Jesus Christ alone. Um, God, what it means that we're fitted with feet, that, that you know, equipment that makes us uh, have the... Uh, armament, the strength, Lord, to share your word, what it means, Lord, um, basically to take up the shield of faith and put out the the enemy's attacks, Lord, um, by just trusting in you, Jesus, and the helmet of salvation, the protection of our mind, the givenness of our salvation. We take that today. We receive it and accept it, Lord, and the the sword that that is your word, Lord. Uh, We receive that. We take that today, Lord. We accept it, Lord, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would make God's word alive and active in our lives, that that it would become something that would be able to, uh, you know, be used defensively, and of course, used, Lord, as we go on offense against the enemy. We love you, Jesus. And we praise you in your name. Amen.